You're listening to Westside Church. For more information, visit us at westsideinfo.com. Good morning, everybody. I trust you had a good Thanksgiving weekend. Um, If you uh, were alone on Thanksgiving and you were missing family or friends, um, I just want to let you know that that doesn't have to happen at Christmas either. Uh, if, you, if you don't have a family around here and you're kind of like holidays are lonely for you, just uh, take a risk. Put your name on one of those blue cards and say, I need, a, I need some place, uh, a family that will adopt me on Christmas. And uh, put it in the basket up here, and we have tons of families in this church that would love to have you over and be part of their uh, family. It doesn't have to happen. You have to, like, step out and let us know. Uh, otherwise, you know, we're not clairvoyant. We don't know those kind of things, but you need to let us know. We really, really believe that the Bible is true when it says God puts the lonely in families, and this is a safe place. This is a family place. And so uh, that will happen at Christmas. And so, how many have a tryptophan overload? That means too much turkey. <laughs> how many don't want any more turkey until Christmas? When Christmas comes around, then you have to have it again. So, uh, yeah, we had a good time with Terry's folks in Phoenix, and uh, that, that's always nice uh, to see them. Uh, Terry's folks are my folks' best friends, and so my dad passed away about 10 years ago, uh, but our moms have been best friends since junior high, so it's nice to have long standing family like that. So we spent uh, Thanksgiving with them, uh, quite a few adventures uh, there, never mind. And so um, <laughs> I'm sure you guys have some too. Um, we're, we're winding down on this talk that we've had. Uh, we've called this series Authentic. We've been talking about genuine faith. Uh, what is a genuine Christian look like? What is 100% sold out for Jesus mean? Uh, And so we started this out by asking the question, just because you sit in church week after week, does that make you a a Christian? And the answer is no. Just like sleeping in your garage doesn't make you an automobile. And so there's not just a checklist of things that we do to be Christians. A lot of people think, well, I was born in America, so I must be a Christian. You know, I celebrate Christmas, so I must be a Christian. And so we've taken a close and hard look at what does a real believer look like, truthfully. And I wouldn't want anybody to say, hey, you know, uh, I'm standing before uh, Jesus at the pearly gates. There's no, that's not going to happen like that, but that's how we say it in our humanity. You're going to stand before Jesus someday, and he's, he's going to say, what did you do with me? With the revelation of God that you knew, and what I did, what I came to do... Uh, are, are you, are you going to come into heaven and you say, yeah, you know, we celebrated Christmas and, you know, we did a little bit of that Santa stuff too, but, you know, I know it's really about Jesus' birth and, and you know, I did go to church and I put my offering in once in a while. He's going to say that has nothing to do with being a Christian. Being a Christian, a Christ follower, is a big deal. And it involves our heart and it involves all of our hearts being positioned and looking toward him. And so that's what we've taken this look on uh, what is an authentic believer. And we've used the book of 1 John. And we've gone through the entire book of 1 John ever since August. We've been going through this series. And today we're going to finish up with the final bit of this book. 
And John's still going to hit us with some hard questions today. So we're going to finish it out um, uh, with, with John's heartfelt, fatherly exhortation uh, toward us. So um, the, the last nine verses of, of 1 John here is an epilogue, so to speak. And an epilogue has a couple of, uh, of uh, purposes. One purpose is to summarize the main body of the letter. So in these verses we're going to read in just a minute, it's going to be a summary of, of 1 John. And then also John wants us to uh, apply the things that he's taught us and told us. So um, let's pay attention, ask the Holy Spirit to enlighten us, to open our eyes, because we cannot read the Word of God in our own strength, in our own understanding. We need the Holy Spirit's guidance to lead us into all truth, just like he promised so, Father, open our hearts, open our eyes, we pray, in Jesus' name. Uh, John chapter 5, starting in verse 13, he says, I have written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know you have eternal life. And we are confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. And since we know he hears us when we make our requests. We also know that He will give us what we ask for. If you see a Christian brother or sister sinning in a way that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give that person life. But there is a sin that leads to death. And I'm not saying you should pray for those who commit it. All wicked actions are sin, but not every sin leads to death. I remember a few years ago, uh, a guy came to my office, and uh, we were talking for a while. He was sort of newer in the church, and after a while, he said, he goes, you know, I've committed the unpardonable sin, and uh, there's no way that God would ever forgive me, and he just broke down and started crying. He thought for years and years and years that he committed the unpardonable sin. So I don't even remember what it was that he thought it was. Uh, that somebody told him, if you do this, you will never be forgiven and you will never go to heaven and you will certainly go to hell. And so he just lived in abject fear uh, of this happening. And I led him through the scripture and I said, that's not the case. And so let me just address this. It's, it's not part of my sermon today, but since those verses were in there and we've committed to reading through entire books of the Bible, we read through the book of Luke a few years ago, and then we read through the entire book of Acts, and we've gone through First John now. Uh, we don't just throw out the parts that are difficult, and so let me just address this. There's been a lot of discussion over the years through uh, uh, many theologians, and I honestly don't think that John had any idea how much discussion this sentence would be that, you know, there's a sin that leads to death. What exactly is that sin? If you are a Christian and if you ever felt so that, like this gentleman that I had talked to, that you had uh, committed a sin that led to death, there was no forgiveness after that. I just want to release you from that and release you from that oppression. And it's actually a lie of the devil to drive you from God instead of uh, draw you toward him. Um, anyway, who knows what every single thing in Scripture actually means? We don't know because we're not God. That's why the word is alive and it's powerful. And you could read something a hundred times and read it a hundred and first time and you still get life out of it, something out of it because it's the eternal word of God. So um, we desperately need the Holy Spirit's uh, guidance to lead us 
into all truth. So some, some theologians uh, um, surmise that this might be uh, John was referring to an actual sin, like in the Old Testament. There were some sins that you had to die for if you committed those things, actual physical death, or it could have been God's judgment on, on the people of Israel when some people died, those kind of things. Um, other people uh, think that John was referring to uh, possibly um, a spiritual death when you turn or reject Christ. That's the only reason somebody goes to hell uh, and doesn't get life eternal is because they refuse to believe in God when the Bible says that his, the evidence of God existing are evident to everybody. Every single person can see through the creation, the heavens declare the glory of God, the life of Jesus uh, declares God's glory and truth, and nobody is with excuse. And, and so the Bible is very clear about that. And so somebody who refuses to acknowledge God, uh, that could be what John was referring to. And um, I think the audience knew what he was referring to. We don't because it's, it's a while later. Uh, but whatever the case, whatever he was referring to, we can learn this from it. One is, uh, it's not our place to become sin stalkers, you know, to go out and find everybody's sin. What sin have you committed and has God forgiven you or not? That's not our job. Our job is to pray for people. And so John makes it very clear. If somebody's a brother or sister in the Lord and they commit a sin, pray for them so that they'll uh, come back and, and find life. And then he says, if they're not, um, he says, if they're not, he says, I, I don't, command you to pray for them, but he doesn't forbid you to pray for them either. So if you know somebody who has rejected God, they want nothing to do with God, and there's nothing that you can do about that. John doesn't forbid you to pray for them, and he doesn't tell you to pray for them. That's between you and the Lord, uh, how you want to deal with that. So um, I would encourage you to pray for people. Pray for brothers and sisters in the Lord who have gone astray. You know, those are lost. If you're lost, that means once you were there, you were found, and so you've wandered away. And um, there's other people who actually choose. They, they hate God. They don't want anything to do with God. Uh, they say. And so th- those are difficult situations. Just, I just encourage you that your heart is right, and uh, you don't have any judgment uh, toward them. That's, that's up for God. He continues in verse 18. We know that God's children do not make a practice of sinning, For God's Son holds them securely, and the evil one cannot touch them. We know that we are children of God, and that the world around us is under the control of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come, and He has given us understanding so that we can know the true God. And now we live in fellowship with the true God because we live in fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the only true God, and He is eternal life. Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your heart. So those are John's final words here in in his first letter to us, the church. Number one, he says that you may know, that you may know. In verse 13, I've written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. So to you who believe, we spoke about this... um, in the last few weeks. It's not just a mental assent to, yeah, there's probably a God, but to you who believe, who rely in God, who trust in God, who put your faith in God, 
And only you can answer that question. Like the guy on the tightrope with the wheelbarrow, and you're willing to get in the wheelbarrow, you know, and go across the tightrope because you really believe, you really rely on, you trust, you place your faith in, you place your life in Jesus' hands. That's who he's talking about, to you who believe. And um, he actually has a similar verse in the Gospel of John, in chapter 20, verse 31, that, but it was written to unbelievers. This one is written to believers, uh, but both were written that you may know, that you may know. And so when you know where your faith is, when you know where your hope is, that's where the joy is. And there is strength and joy. The joy of the Lord is my strength and, and my confidence. And so um, you don't have to worry about your salvation. You can know. Uh, John gives us two things here. He says, one, because Jesus is life. Jesus is the life. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That Zoe life, that real life, real life. Are you tired of living same old, same old, or do you want authentic life, real life? That's what Jesus said. I came to give you real life, the abundant life. And two, he said, eternal life is knowing him. This life is found in knowing him. John 17, 3, this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So we have an object of our faith here. The object of our faith is Jesus. The object of our faith is Jesus. He's the one who we trust in, who we hope in. The object of this word here is Jesus. Jesus is the central theme, the central focus of God's word. From the very, very beginning, everything points to Jesus. And everything in the New Testament is the fulfillment of those things that we're pointing to Jesus. My dad used to say, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. And the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. And so that's, it all is about Jesus. We went through the story a few years ago. It all centers uh, around Jesus. So our, the object of our faith is Jesus and his finished work on the cross. Jesus said, it is finished. He finished what God sent him to do, and that's to die in our place on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. And so our faith and trust in Jesus, who, who went to the cross, who finished the work there, that's the that's objective. That's just fact there. The subjective uh, part of our faith is uh, for our assurance. John gives us three things, and we spoke about these last week, but just to review, the first one is that we believe in Jesus. We believe the truth about Christ, that he was an actual person. He wasn't a ghost or an apparition. Uh, he wasn't just a spirit that indwelled a human being. Jesus was fully man and fully God, God Almighty in the flesh, and we believe that. We believe that and place our trust in him. Number two, he said that we love others, especially those of the household of the faith. We love the brethren and sisterin. And so uh, we, we love each other. With This love is a demonstration or a proof of our faith. One, that we believe in Jesus. Two, that we love others. And three, that we obey his commands. He said these are are subjective things. So you can take this test. Do I really believe? Do I really love others? Do I want, is my heart wanting to obey his commands? Those are evidences that we are indeed genuine or authentic uh, believers. Number two, we're confident that he hears us. Verse 14 says, we are confident that he hears us 
whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. Now, this confidence means, uh, confidence means we're bold. We have boldness. Uh, we have freedom to speak to God. We can actually come into his presence and say, God, can I have these things? And John adds that thing, things that please him. You know, there's a lot of things that we ask that would not please God, if we were honest. And we're actually, you know, it's not just a Santa Claus list. That's not who God is. I want this, and I want this, and I want Xbox this, and I want, you know, Cocker Spaniel this, and I, you know, all this kind of stuff. Lamborghini, somebody like one of those, all right? Okay. Um, but as we have the freedom and the boldness to come to Him, our faith grows, uh, particularly when we see Him answer. The more we see Him answer, the more our faith grows. Um, when we were first married, and we had grown up, we were both pastor's kids, and we heard stories all growing up from both of our families where God always provided. It was always tough. It was always difficult, you know, especially financially growing up, and, and uh, that God always provided. So we believed that. And um, we were just married a few weeks. I was in school. Terry was working. Uh, we were young. We finished raising each other. We didn't know anything about finances. There was no Dave Ramsey then, no Ron Blue, Larry Burkett, none of that stuff. And so we just kind of, you know, we didn't have that great of a financial uh, background. But um, I was on the GI Bill uh, going to school. I'd just gotten out of the Army. And by the way, those of you that pay taxes, thank you, because I went to school on the GI Bill, so thanks very much. At least some of your taxes went to something good, so... Uh, <laughs> Um, but it, you know, anything with the government takes forever. So it was like weeks and weeks into the semester. I still hadn't gotten anything yet. And we had nothing. We had, I mean, we had no money. So now it was Friday afternoon. It was early afternoon. And I was walking down this long hallway in the apartment uh, building that we lived in in Yorba Linda, California, and going down there. And I go, oh God, I, we need that GI Bill. You know, we don't have, we can't pay the bills. We don't have any groceries. This kind of thing. I mean nothing. Nothing in the cupboard. Nothing in the fridge. And um, I just felt the Lord speak to me. Just, you know, your own thoughts in the head when you know it's God talking to you. And, and he goes, it's not going to be there. And I go, like this. He goes, but I got you covered. You know, I just walked down there. I fully expected to open there. And in there was a check, a rebate from our insurance. It was like $65. That was like... That was like, we had no idea that was coming. It was unexpected. It was like a million dollars. When you have nothing, $65 is everything. That's in the days when 5 or $8 would fill a grocery bag, by the way. And so um, it was, we just say, God. And so when those things happen, when those things happen, your faith builds. And you see God uh, working. And so when Terry prays for me over the years, probably five times over the years, I'm coming down with a flu or something. And um, I'll say, Terry, will you pray for me? I mean, full on, you're, you're, you know this is coming on you and you're well into, you're going to be sick for days. I say, Terry, will you pray for me? So she just puts her hand on my shoulder and, and just nothing huge, just a, a simple prayer of God, please touch Steve. And within 10 or 15 minutes, it's totally and completely gone. So when I start to get sick now, what do I do? I go and ask Terry to pray for me, and knowing that it's not her that does it, but it's Almighty God who does it, because his promise was, these signs shall follow them that believe on my name. They'll lay hands on the sick, and they'll recover. Now, sometimes she's prayed for me, and I still got sick anyway. 
uh, because God doesn't always answer everything. You know, it's not just like a you know slot machine and you pull it and expect something in there. And but it's it's trusting in God, and sometimes His answer is no. And ultimately, we're all human beings on this earth, and no, none of us will make it out of here alive. That's the truth. Uh, because of sin and corruption in the world, we're all going to die, and that's the reason there is disease and sickness and turmoil in this world and war and famine and, and those kind of things. But yet God said, I'll be with you through the storm. And so the more we see him answer prayer, uh, the more our faith builds. And so we have so many of these now, been married almost 42 years, we've seen God move, we've seen him work, we've seen him, his faithfulness uh, time and time again. Um, and so um, it's just, it's wonderful. I, I used to be a um, school superintendent. I had a 120 employees and, um, you know, hire a lot of people and sometimes you have to let people go and that was the worst part of my job because it always come down to me. And so I, I tried to get out of it. So I go, God, listen, I don't want to fire anybody. I want you to do it. And so here's what I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray, God, that you'll do one of two things. God, will you please change their heart so we don't have to fire them? Or two, remove them. <laughs> change their heart or move them. And so I remember once specifically there was two real tough situations. And you don't want things that are divisive and, and it like spreads like cancer. And, and um, so I, I prayed and I told Terry, I said, I, I need to pray these two situations. God, will you change their heart or will you move them? And I remember within, within three or four days, the one person came back to me and apologized and truly repented. Just said, I had a terrible attitude, da 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 That one was totally taken care of. The other one said, you know what? It's time for us to move on. I go, thank you, Jesus. Like this. So the more you trust God for things, the more you place your faith in him and see him answer, I'm telling you, your confidence, your boldness grows. And so you can pray in line with God's will. Pray in line with God's will. And, uh, and pray with confidence and boldness. That's, that's wonderful. So... Um, Number three here, he's given us understanding. He's given us understanding. So John says in verse 20, and we know that the Son of God has come and he has given us understanding so that we can know the true God. So that we can know the true God. Now, there's, there's this thing about knowing God. And, and we should all have a handle on this. I want to encourage you. It's not just enough to know about God, all right? We want to know God, all right? I don't want to just know about Terry. I don't want, I, when we were dating and those kind of things, I, did not, I didn't want to just know what her, her shoe size was and her favorite foods and her ice cream flavor and, you know, what her dream, I didn't want to just know about her. Anybody could know about her. I wanted to know Terry. I wanted to know her and be close and, and J.I. Packer wrote a book about knowing God. It's a classic. Um, if you're in leadership, that's a good book to read because he, he comes from a perspective that's a little bit different than ours. He really loves God. J.I. Packer, he's a theologian. 
And in the very first chapter, he talks about this. I don't want to just know about God. I want to know God. And, and he comes from a theological perspective where they don't have the gifts of the Spirit. They don't really embrace the Holy Spirit uh, moving, you know, like, like we would here. And, um, but he talks about, he goes, our, our charismatic friends. He's very gracious. He says, our charismatic friends, although they are sometimes ridiculed for not having deep theology, which could be true, and, and it doesn't have to be true, uh, but we want to know uh, uh, we want to know him intellectually and our heart. But he said uh, they have something that sometimes we need because over on this side we're really into theology, really into the you know word, and th- those things are good. He said, but we don't want to just know about God. We want to know God. We want to experience God. We want to embrace God. It's not just it's not just a, a head exercise. It's our head and our heart. He wants, to, he wants us to love him with all of our heart, our soul, our strength, our mind, everything that's within us, intellectually, logically, and passionately, all right? So God's in, in it for all of us. And so John says that we can know the true God. General Douglas MacArthur, he was the uh, commander of the Pacific campaigns at the end of World War II, uh, pretty famous guy, and got the you know Japanese to uh, sign at the end of World War II. And what he said was, when he was in college, he was taking a class on the theory of relativity, and he says the first section was studying the time-space relationship, later formulated by Einstein as his theory of relativity. The text was complex, and being unable to comprehend it, I committed the pages to memory. When I was called upon to recite, I solemnly reeled off almost word for word what the book said. Our instructor, Kerner uh, Feiberger, looked at me somewhat quizzically and asked, do you understand that theory? It was a bad moment for me, says MacArthur, but I did not hesitate in replying, no, sir. You could have heard a pin drop. I braced myself and waited. And then... The slow words of the professor, neither do I, Mr. MacArthur. Section dismissed. And so, I just like that. He, he knew about the theory of relativity, but he didn't know the theory of relativity. I don't want to just know about God. I want to know God. I want to know that when I pray, he hears me. I want my confidence to be there. I want to know that when I'm praying in alignment with his will, and I lay hands on the sick, that that God will heal them. Sometimes he does and sometimes he doesn't. He's God. He's sovereign. I wish I knew the answer to that, but I know part of it is he wants us to trust him. And if he always answered every single prayer, we'd get a little bit cocky and we would think that it would start to think that it's us. And so it's always faith. It's always depending on him. But it's this love relationship we have uh, with Almighty God. And we can know him. He is knowable. But we will never know everything about him. We will never understand eternity. We will never... You know, remember when you were a kid and you first learned about infinity? You go, what? There's no end? It just goes on? You mean a gazillion isn't the final thing? And then when you're in like seventh grade, you learn what a Google is, you know. And you go, oh, it's with a hundred zeros. And that must be the end. No, it's not. Because then you have a Googleplex. 
That's a one with a Google of zeros next to it. And you go, ah, like this. And our brain starts to short circuit. Maybe some of you have never even thought that far. But for those of you that are superior and very advanced and you've thought that far out, <laughs> you know that it starts to short circuit. You just can't get that. But we'll never know everything about God, but we can know God. He's made himself knowable. You know why? Because he stepped out of eternity in Jesus Christ and he said, if you want to know me, look at Jesus. If you want to know that what I said, look at Jesus. I am knowable. And so take the time to get to know him. Take the time to spend in his presence. Take the time to enjoy him. Take the time to pray where you're not just asking for stuff. Take the time to tell him how much he means to you. Tell him how much you enjoy his creation. Tell him how much you enjoy your kids and grandkids. Tell him how much you appreciate his, his uh, faithfulness and his provision over the years. Tell him how much you appreciate taking you off the pathway that you were on and putting you on the right path. Just get to know him to a greater degree. How are we going to apply this? Uh, John sums up the whole uh, book of 1 John. He says... Don't let anything take God's place. In verse 21, he says, Dear children, please keep away from anything that might take place, God's place in your hearts. So if you have uh, King James or New King James or New American Standard or ESV, those say, stay away from idols. That's what this is saying. An idol is anything that would take God's place in your heart. And, and so for some of us, it could be career. For some of us, it could be money or our love life, anything that you think about more than you think about God. It could be um, sports. It amazes me how many, how many people up there say, oh, I can never memorize a Bible verse. But you ask them what's on Tuesday night at 7 on Fox. They'll know exactly. Thursday night's over here. They know they got the TV guide memorized. Or they have sports statistics memorized since 1942. They know all the batting averages. And, but they can't learn a verse. I'm telling you, what comes in between you and your relationship, John says, please stay, stay away from these things. I'm not saying you can't enjoy those things, but make sure he is first. Maybe for some it's power. For others it's pleasure. Or comfort, those are two big ones in our culture. Pleasure and comfort. We live for comfort. Everything is dialed in as to make our lives as comfortable as possible. For some of us, it could be our kids. Our kids have become idols where they take the place of first place of God. For some of us, it could be cars. For some of us, this is a big one, self. Maybe I am on the throne for goodness sake in our culture we have a magazine called self (laughs) anything Uh, the life application bible says an idol can be anything that substitutes for the true faith anything that robs christ of his full deity that's his godhood and humanity any human idea that claims to be more authoritative than the bible any loyalty that replaces God at the center of our lives. I'm so glad we sang that song today, Jesus Be the Center. John was bluntly saying that to follow the false teachers 
would amount to turning away from God and to idols. Wow, that's a big deal. We as believers must pause and, and take reference there. Some more examples. I got three more examples, A, B, and C, and D. No, four examples. The first one here is what uh, my friend Jesse Mason, my old pastor, used to call the disses. You got a case of the disses. Sometimes you get a case of the flu or a case of the mumps or measles. You can get a case of the disses, all right? Distraction or discouragement or dis-ease or disillusionment or disfranchised or distressed or disgust or any kind of the disses. It's, it's, like, it's like you got this sickness. It's the disses. Those who came to David, remember when David was wandering uh, in the wilderness or fleeing from Saul, and all those who were distressed and discouraged, they had the disses. They came to him. He goes, this is my army. All these guys with the case of the disses. And so they became his mighty men, by the way. There is a prescription for this sickness called the disses, and that's the Word of God. It's the promises of God in particular. Read the promises of God. There's over 3,500 of them in the Bible. All the things that God has provided for you, and it will get rid of the, the disses. Another one that could come between us and the Lord is false teaching. John talked a lot about this in First John. Things that would deny the deity of Christ. Things that would pull us away from the true faith. So you've got to be on guard that those things don't uh, take precedence. Or sometimes our stuff gets in the way. Our whole life is re revolving around our stuff. Acquiring it, taking care of it, playing with it, all this kind of stuff. All, just everything. There's just so much out there. And it could be distraction or whatever. And the fourth one is, it could be anything that we think about more than our relationship with God. Anything we think about more than our relationship with God. Remember this. Yes, you might have to work for 40 hours a week or 50 hours a week. Yes, you might have to take care of the kids and take care of the house. I'm not talking about living. I'm talking about when you have a choice to concentrate on is every moment on one of these other things or do we spend most of our time enjoying our relationship with Almighty God? Ask yourself. Take, it doesn't mean you can't live anymore and you can't have recreation. And I love the word recreation. It's recreate. It's coming back to the original what God created you to be, a free person, unencumbered. There's, there's good things about staying healthy, but who do we enjoy? I remember a couple years ago when I ran the, the marathon, uh, and it's coming up next week, isn't it? Yeah, some of our people are going to run it next week, Sacramento Marathon. And um, there, there was moments that I was, sometimes I was just overwhelmed running, being totally out of, you know, I was, I said, is this a runner's high? And, I, and I, the other voice in my head said, no, you're about to die, you knucklehead. <laughs> but being, <laughs> being totally overwhelmed with the presence of God in the middle of doing something that takes a lot of time. Can you enjoy the presence of God in your workplace? Can you enjoy taking care of the kids when they're going nuts? Can you enjoy God uh, when the transmission 
is scattered all over 50 freeway. Can you enjoy God when, when it's time to pay the bills and there's, there's two months month left at the end of your money? Can you enjoy God during the ups and the downs of life? That's, that's what he's talking about. Giving credence there. So let it be Jesus. What excites you? What inspires you? So as our response today, I encourage you to just examine your heart. During this last song we're going to sing, examine your heart. What do you see? What has priority in your life? Where do your deepest affections lie? And I do not want to be guilty of idolatry. John's last statement, his last plea is don't let anything come between you. Yes, you can know God. Yes, you can have all this. Yes, stay away from false philosophies. Yes, you can, you can have your sins forgiven. Yes, we love one another. Yes, we obey His commands. Don't let anything rob you of His priority in your life. Amen? Father, thanks for this word. Thank you for John's faithfulness in serving you and loving you and then being inspired by the Holy Spirit uh, to write this letter to us. God, I pray that we would uh, take heart to His exhortation to us. Uh, this morning. We respond to you now in Jesus' name. Amen.